you kind of hit the nail on the head when you're talking about, you know, are we going to legalize? Are we not? Is it going to happen? Is it, is it isn't, is it going to be tomorrow? Is it going to be 10 years from now? And that's, it's those macro movements. It's those, it's that macro environment that's actually driving the stock prices. And, and it's, it's kind of ironic. This is Lit and Lucid, your after work de-stress smoke sesh podcast. I'm your host, Lit. And I'm your host, Lucid. And we're going to take you on a journey. A journey to discover the truth and find the balance. Every week, we get deep on those thought-provoking topics that ooze out of the cannabis universe. But we also keep it real by illuminating important issues and people in today's culture. So kick back. Consume your favorite cannabis products. And get cozy cozy in the the Lit and Lucid lifestyle. Welcome, everybody, to the Lit and Lucid podcast. It's Thursday, and you know we're recording another episode of the show. Today, you guys, we have somebody joining us from Toronto. We are talking about a very important topic in the industry, cannabis banking. Joining us today is Jason Wilson. He is a cannabis banking and research expert at ETFMG. ETFMG offers a full suite of ETFs for cannabis investors, including the first and largest ETF, MJ Alternative Harvest ETF. Jason has over 20 years experience in asset management, finance, and structured product space with a track record of bringing hard to access asset classes to market. So with that, I don't really know very much about any of this. So I'm really excited to have you on the show here today, Jason, to learn more about cannabis banking and all that you do with investment. So with that, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's great to be on your show. Likewise, we're super excited to have you on. And and like Lucy said, to kind of dig into cannabis banking invest, investments a little bit more. I think that we're all going to learn a lot today, especially Lucy and I. So uh, excited to dig into that later. But before we get in too far, uh, tell us, you know, where did your journey with cannabis start? Well, I, you know, personal or, or, or business, I guess I should <laughs> stick the business. Uh, personal goes way back. But, uh, you know, it, it's interesting. I started my professional career as as an attorney. And uh, really, really in the uh, securities and corporate law space. And after after doing that for a while, I went over to investment banking and um, you know started in Canada. Went down to the United States for for about ten years. Uh, worked a lot with asset managers, uh, especially finance. And about 2014, I came back to Toronto from the U.S. And it was um, you know I was at a firm called Infor Financial. And, uh, you know, we, we worked with a lot of kind of hard, you know, hard to finance, smaller companies. Um, and it was right around then that was, you know, legal cannabis was starting to get a lot of steam in, in Canada. Um, but because of the regulations in the U.S., the Canadian banks were really hesitant to get behind these companies. So that, that's, I guess, was 2014, 2015 is when I really, you know, started getting in front of a lot of these, at the time, smaller companies, uh, you know, companies like Canopy, which used to be called Tweed when we first worked with them. And it's just, you know, listening to their business plan, their vision, not just for Canada, but globally, seeing changes, obviously, in legislation in the U.S. And it just really dawned on me that, you know, hey, I believe in the product. I mean, at, at the end of the day, it's 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 uh, it's been you know it's been around as you know since the beginning of time, and and it kind of the you know the absurdity of of um, prohibition of, of cannabis is is relatively shortly lived when you look at it. But um, so it, it really piqued my interest to see what was happening in, in Canada, and um, I guess 
you know, starting to look at raising capital for some of these you know, very small companies, it, it was incredibly challenging. I mean, they couldn't get traditional bank financing. There is a lot of your institutional investors, even as we move to legalization in Canada, we're incredibly weary about getting involved in the space because of, you know, U.S. US uh, regulations. Um, so it was it was really hard to access, which you know, kind of brought me to working with with a good friend of mine, Sam Masucci at ETF Managers Group and saying, hey, you know what, you, you got a great ETF platform. Why don't we work together and figure out how to get uh, this product, you know, available to, to retail investors in the U.S. And uh, we started working on that in 2016. And by the end of 2017, we launched uh, MJ on the New York Stock Exchange. So it's, it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun and, you know, been a lot of work to, to get <laughs> to that point and, and since. Uh, some ups and downs, but uh, yeah, here we are. It's very exciting. That's interesting. Well, before we dive in a little bit deeper, because I want to talk to you about Infor a little bit, but before we get started, can you explain to everybody what an ETF is? Yeah, I mean, ETFs are the, it's a uh, stands for exchange traded fund. And, you know, what they really are is, is, uh, an investment vehicle that investors can buy. They trade on stock exchanges. And the, the sole purpose is to get a- access to, you know, a group of assets or an industry or a broad-based index of stocks in one trade. So we were the first to bring that for cannabis companies. And you think of, you know, it's confusing. You're looking at a space that's new. It's legal in Canada. It's becoming legal in, in various parts of, of Europe. Obviously, we have individual states that have legalized in the U.S., but federally, it's illegal. How do you play this? How do you get access to this? There's so many companies and what the purpose of the ETF is to really bring, you know, for investors that don't that want exposure to that to that asset class, but they don't want to really get into granularity and the expense of buying individual stocks, you can just buy the ETF. You can just buy MJ, and it gives you exposure to all these globally focused cannabis companies. Um, and it's it's that simple. It's one trade. It's it's a diverse portfolio of holdings, and that helps reduce not only cost. Uh, but volatility, because you know, at the end of the day, instead of trying to pick individual winners and losers, which is incredibly hard to do when we don't have a, a legal regulatory footprint at this part, uh, it allows investors to to take advantage of the growth of the industry broadly. That's pretty interesting. You know, cannabis investments have always been something that's been on my radar, and so I know when I first got in, uh, a lot of the first ones uh, that I could even invest in were all Canadian companies, and so. Uh, that was like a really interesting part. So, you know, tell us more about Infor Financial and kind of maybe how, you know, you were a little bit intertwined with some of this, the very first, you know, rollout of, of cannabis investment. Yeah. So, you know, Infor was, was uh, really meant to come to the Canadian market as a, you know, a, 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 an independent advisory firm. So if you think of most of your investment banks, they're owned by larger you know, larger groups. So in, in Canada, it's, it's, you know, Royal Bank of Canada, Bank of Montreal, TD, uh, CIBC. And you, you can look in the U.S., it's the same kind of thing, you know, you have from, you know, J.P. Morgan and Bank of America, et cetera. And, and the, the, it's great from if you're, if you're a company and you're looking to raise capital and you want banking and, you know, your traditional, you know, commercial banking, um, as well as analyst coverage and things of that nature. It's, they're, they're great platforms to work with, but you can often have these biases. Obviously, companies will underwrite you know, their bigger partners where they're getting a lot of revenues from, from other sectors of the bank and or you, know, you have this conflict between their analyst coverage and, and their underwriting 
Uh, so Infor was meant to be independent of all that and to really work with companies that were you know, public and looking to expand or companies looking to go public and not have those biases act as a true independent voice uh, away from, from any research, away from any other you know, revenue streams and to really just you know, bring a group of people as Neil Self is a founder of Infor. Um, it's a really, you know, bring him and, and his founders, uh, founding partners, their expertise and their voice and bring it and, and help companies really uh, move forward. So it, it's, you know, starting there uh, from when we founded in early 2015. And it's, you know, we, I think I mentioned we did a lot in especially finance space. And again, that's more mid-market companies, which don't have great coverage in the U.S. or Canada. Um, not a lot of access to to your you know your bigger traditional banking, um, and that kind of made us a little bit of uh, a target, if you will, for for companies in the cannabis space. Which a they were mid-market or not even they were they were you know small mid-market companies, um, but also you know obviously falling off the uh, the radar for traditional banking services as well. So it's it's you know looking at the early stages of some of these. Uh, deals that were coming through is working with companies, for example, like Tweed, where they were coming out and starting to look for assets and not just grow organically to build out their own uh, operations, but looking to consolidate, looking to, to acquire certain competitors. And, um, you know, in fact, we worked on uh, Infor, one of the, uh, some of their, not just their first rounds of financing, but also advising uh, Tweed, which became Canopy Growth, on their uh, deal with Constellation. So it, it's uh, a good example of what a small independent dealer can do for companies. And you know, we you, you know, Canopy's kind of it was the first unicorn in the cannabis space. And uh, you know, they, they've uh, you know um, obviously are, are uh, have, have done incredibly incredibly well. Um, so it, it's 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 been you know, still hard for a lot of these companies. The Canadian companies, it's easier for them to get their financing now because they can trade on the Toronto Stock Exchange. They can trade on on uh, the U.S. primary exchanges. Um, you know, I've left uh, in or several years ago, but, um, you know, since then, they've continued to focus on the space. They've done a lot of work uh, with U.S. MSOs. And again, as a Canadian dealer, they have a little bit more freedom to do that. And uh, you know, they've been they've continued to do, and they've been a good partner of mine um, uh, with respect to you know focusing on M and As and financings and whatnot, not just for the Canadian companies, uh, which are covered more by your your bigger banks now, but uh, specifically for the the U.S. operators. That's pretty interesting. One thing that came about all this, and 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 I like that you started it off by talking about. In for and kind of who they targeted, and that's you know small to mid market companies. But I'm thinking a lot of the companies that even started were small to mid market, just because a lot of people didn't really want to get involved with it. And we mentioned you know Constellation Brands, it, you know it still took Tweed to go to Canopy to you know still sit around for a couple of years before Constellation Brands even came in. And I could be wrong, but I even think that was under some specific um, you know criteria too. And so it, it still took a while to get this evolution to where it's even at today, where large institutions are, have access to this. Or we could even discuss talking about investing in an ETF, a cannabis ETF in the stock market. And so I still think all these steps were necessary uh, to even get any of these companies to this point, which is pretty incredible um, that, you know, 
Like there's a lot of in between, a lot of glue in between that has to help, you know, hold a lot of the stuff together to get it to a point where uh, the market can start to reach maturation. And then we can even discuss some of these things. Oh yeah. And there's such a long way to go. I mean, that the industry is in very infant stages. I like it's, it's, you know, Canada alone is obviously it's not a very big country, but it's an interesting footprint. We have about 38 million people. And, uh, you know, really, really early on in, in, in uh, legalization and, and uh, you know, all the different types of you know, products and you know, that, that are all the different SKUs that are coming to market. And it, it's, it's a great, you know, testing ground, but it's, it's just kind of a vision of what's going to happen globally. And you see, obviously, what's happening in, in the U.S. and it's incredibly fragmented. I mean, the U.S. is a much more excited, exciting market than Canada. It's much bigger. It's going to be the is the largest cannabis market globally. Um, but, you know, without the regulatory framework right now, it's hard to see how these how it's all going to fit together. What's the right model? Um, you know, is it going to be more of an alcohol model, for example, we're going to have true interstate commerce, or is it going to, you know, continue with this kind of individual interstate full vertical uh, build outs, which seems unlikely, but, um, or maybe something in between. And then you look at what's happening in Europe. I mean, this year alone, uh, we're going to see a lot of activity there. Obviously, there's a lot of talk in Germany and Italy and Luxembourg and Switzerland. Uh, that's on the recreational side, let alone with the, um, uh, you know, the medical uh, programs that are happening, you know, France, Ireland, you name it. So it, it's, we're just seeing a big movement globally. And I think as that continues to, to move along and it will, I mean, one of the bigger things that, that happened, uh, was, you know, with respect to the, uh, the UN and the uh, single convention and actually rescheduling cannabis, which is, you know, the single conventions like the, uh, the controlled substances act, it was really, you know this this convention that all all signatories had to abide and 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 make cannabis illegal, and it's one of the big reasons that we see you know keeping cannabis as schedule uh, schedule one on the CSA. Now that that's been revised, we've seen a lot of movement in Europe. We're, we're, we obviously saw it in Canada, and I expect we're going to see it at a federal level this year um, to some extent in the U.S. as well. It's it's definitely. You know, opinions changed a long time ago. It takes the regulatory framework a little bit of time to catch up, but but uh, we're getting there. And you're right. There's there's a a lot of work to be done for sure. Well, that's a good outlook, right? I'm hearing some positivity from you, and there's obviously a lot more room for growth for these companies moving forward. I know here in Colorado, you know, we sometimes get stuck in our little bubble where we're talking, you know, like smaller companies, and we're all kind of feeling the angst, you know, as more bigger companies start to come in. So it's good to hear, you know, you still feel like there's growth and movement that's going to keep moving this market forward and more innovation, at least. Well, yeah, and and it's you know there's it's interesting, right? So I think as the market matures, you're there's there's always going to be uh, room for for your you know your your premium, real premium flower, like that your 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 craft growers. You're always going to have that, and and but what will be interesting to see is is and this is probably some of the fear. Um, is will we see some some kind of commoditization of, of the crop, right? And we probably will to some extent. If you think as you see various product forms become more popular, if we look at edibles and drinkables, for example, I mean, we're not going to be probably, we're going to look more at the raw ingredient, maybe rather than the, the actual profile of, of the plant itself, right? So I could see that moving 
to maybe places where it can grow efficiently outdoors, where it's less environmentally intensive. And, you know, maybe we will have a cannabis bowl somewhere, right? Like, so maybe there will be one place where we grow that type of cannabis. Uh, and that'll go into your, into your branded product forms. That'll, that'll, you know, your traditional CPG type market. And maybe that drips into the, you know, your kind of ancillary markets around cannabis. So I could see that, um, that, that part of the cannabis industry really growing, um, as we see federal legalization in the U.S. and, um, you know, that, that interstate kind of product. And you probably will be able to go into every C store at some point in time and, you know, you can get your bud or you can get your bud, right? So it's uh, all under you know, the same banner. Um, but at the same time, I don't think that's ever going to. So you look at, at Colorado and you look at California and there's some great weed there. And I don't think that's ever going to change. There's always going to be demand for that premium high product no matter what. And that's probably how the industry will grow. Right. And, and that's, you know, arguably no different than, you know, wine or spirits. There's obviously there's your mass market product. And, and then at the end of the day, you always have your premium product too. Right. So mm -hmm. it's, it's uh, I, I would believe that cannabis is going to be the same as that, although more diverse because it's, you know, cannabis. And we talk about, you know, cannabis to me, marijuana and hemp. Um, there's the industrial side of it, obviously with, with hemp, there's, there's also the pharmaceutical and the medical side. And, and, uh, so there's, there's a lot, there's a lot more going on and, and, you know, hemp fascinates me as well, just for the sheer fact that it's, it's this plant that can grow without insecticides. It can grow on marginal land. It can, it can grow without irrigation. You can get a few, two to three, uh, you know, crop rotations a year. It can actually revitalize the land. So it's a great rotation crop. And, you know, it sequesters so much carbon. It's been used for building in various forms in, in Europe for, for centuries and, and even still today. And it's, it's a supply chain issue, the lack of federalized uh, uh, sorry, uh, regulatory framework that, that prevents um, a proper uh, supply chain from being built out that we don't have more of these products, but it will come. We'll see it in our textiles. We'll see it in, you know, reinforced plastic panels. And we might even see uh, it extracted to, to create biodegradable plastics. And we're going to start seeing in more building materials. I mean, that, that alone, you will obviously see what's going on in the world and, and the need to sequester more carbon, um, I, I think, has, has huge potential as well. So it's, it's a fascinating plant, fascinating industry. It's not you know, just about the, the recreational side of it. It's also the wellness side, the medical side, the industrial side, and how it touches on so many important things that are going on right now. I think it's pretty cool. And, and it's something we don't really talk about enough is about, you know, the global application of cannabis. You know, we kind of like sit in our area and talk a lot about recreational and medical and kind of touch on the industrial application, but now we don't even talk about what's happening in Europe or Germany or even places like India or, you know, anywhere else, you know, there's a, there's a lot going on in South America too. And we really don't touch on that. Um, you know, how is that going to affect the, the U.S.'s policy going forward as it becomes more of a global thing? You know, do you think that that's going to put pressure on uh, the regulators in the U.S. to start trying to push some type of federal legalization? Or I know we still have this issue of banking reform that we can't even get it passed in, in Congress. And so, uh, you know, do, do you see any of the tides shifting in that in the next couple of years or, you know, there's a stalemate. So where are we at with that? Yeah, I, I think the tides have shifted. I, I mean, the, the only place this is, is, is really controversial really is, is, you know, in, in, in Washington itself. I mean, you, the, the, the people have spoken, I mean, ballot after ballot after ballot it's clear that that the 
the the nation is is behind legalization for sure for medical use and and even even with respect to full uh, adult recreational use, uh, and we're seeing reform measures being tabled by both the Democrats and the Republicans. I mean, it's really not an issue of of, of partisanship. It's it's more of a function of of how far does reform go? I mean, we just saw Nancy Mace's um, uh, draft legislation come out where, you know, it's, it's pushing, you know, uh, legalization. And and that is, that's fascinating to see that there's support there from the Republicans on the flip side. And you mentioned safe banking. Um, that's not being passed, not because it is, we don't have enough support for it. It's the fact that we have certain, uh, you know, you look at Schumer, for example, who, who it says it doesn't go far enough. And, and this is the problem that we have right now. The stalemate is, is you know, if you look at, at, at Schumer's uh, uh, draft legislation, which is great. I mean, it, it's amazing uh, the fact that we actually have that kind of legislation in, you know, the Senate. And, and th- that to me is, is it's, it's, it's hard to believe that we're actually at that point now. But the excise tax, for example, in that, right? Like it just goes too far to get that Republican support. And then on the flip side, you know, the Republican measures are, are really, let's just legalize. And, and we don't maybe have some of the, uh, the uh, reform measures in there that, that we need to really to, to get the Democrats. So it's, 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 I don't feel that we, we, we need to, that there's a question regarding legalization. It's just finding the right compromises. And that's tough to do, right? And, and, but I do believe it will happen. I mean, the fact that we have so many people working in the industry now, um, it, it's, you know, without proper banking, that creates obviously, you know, so, so much risk to people that work in the industry, um, let alone the fact that we're coming out, out of, you know, this pandemic, hopefully. Um, and, the holes in, 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 you know, the balance sheets and budgets of, of various states and municipalities. I mean, there's, there's a lot of will and a lot of reasons for this industry to, to, to move forward. Um, I have to believe that something's going to, something's going to get done in 2022. It's, it's probably going to start with banking reform. Um, and it's, it's, you know, that, that on its own is going to be, you know, maybe a shortfall of expectations that, w- that we had in 2021, but at the end of the day, it'll be the first step to full meaningful reform and, and, and legalization. And, you know, whether uh, the Democrats keep uh, full control after the midterm elections or not, um, who knows? Uh, but I don't think it really matters. Again, it's not, it's, it's not an issue of partisanship anymore. It's really just trying to find a pragmatic approach. And that seems to be something that's hard to find when it comes to politics. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> well, that was very interesting. Thank you for that insight. I, I really appreciate that. And I think our listeners will too. Uh, but let's go back a little bit and talk about ETF uh, management group. I know you guys have a full suite of ETFs for cannabis investors specifically. So do you want to tell us more about you know what you guys have to offer and like a little bit more about these funds and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. So we, you know, ETF managers group is really about bringing first to market products uh, to investors. And, you know, if you, you look at their suite of ETFs across the board, approximately 75% of them are exactly that first to market products. So the first ETFs, you know, for example, focus on cybersecurity and cannabis. Um, 
And and it's, so that that's that's the focus of the firm is not to really bring your, your broad based index product that that uh, uh, is out there. It's really bringing these these nuanced uh, emerging markets that are uh, you know appealing to particularly growth oriented investors. So that that's what ETF Managers Group focuses on with respect to cannabis. Um, we were the first one uh, to to bring a cannabis focused ETF. Uh, in the U.S., and um, you know, to ensure that that ETF was fully compliant, I remember bringing this initiative out, starting it six years ago, and actually getting it launched, you know, at the end of, of 2017 um, on a federally federally regulated fund was uh, a lot of moving pieces, <laughs> and uh, so one of the criteria we had with with MJ was to make sure that it only invested in companies. Um, that operated where, where, you know, touching the plant was, was legal at a federal level. So for that reason, even though we have U.S. companies in there, they're ancillary companies, you know, mm-hmm. companies, for example, like Scott's miracle Grow, which sell a lot of equipment and what have you, uh, um, uh, to the cannabis industry. Uh, we had companies in there like GW Pharma, which was acquired by Jazz Pharma, uh, some other pharmaceutical place. So there, we do have ancillary, um, you know, cannabis-focused companies um, that operate in the U.S., but the actual plant-touching ones were primarily the Canadian licensed producers. And that just made that made a lot of sense at the time. And even as, as we started to see some of the MSOs, you know, go public and list, it was on a tertiary exchange, the Canadian Securities Exchange, um, that's available primarily, you know, for, for most investors over-the-counter. And, um, you know, we couldn't put that in MJ. So as, as the industry evolved and as we started to see more, you know, progress made, or I guess, you know, maybe more comfort with, with uh, various uh, service providers and regulators in the U.S. Um, getting their arms around a um, U.S. focused um, cannabis companies, we did launch um, another fund and that's MJ US. And it's effectively the same concept as MJ, except that instead of investing in, in stocks that have a global focus, we only, in the MJ US invests only in companies that touch the plant in the US. So we have a lot of the, you know, multi-state operators in there, for example, and then to round out the full, for th- those are kind of, I'll call it investor products. And those are, you know, notwithstanding all the, Movements in the market—it's—it's it's primarily, in, uh, you know, our investors in those funds—they—they they believe in the industry, where it's going. They're there for the long term, um, you know. They buy the dip kind of thing, and uh, you know, we've seen some wild price swings in 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 MJ, for example. But we've continued to to attract assets to it, so it's. Uh, that kind of investor and there are investors or traders that like to take advantage of daily price movements. So we do have two products. One's called MJXL and the other is MJIN and, and MJXL provides two times the daily exposure, positive exposure uh, to our to our global index and MJIN provides two times the inverse. So the, the negative exposure and they're meant really for to to go out there and 
and get some kind of leverage focused short-term exposure to the cannabis industry, not meant for long-term investing. It's because you know of the of the the double exposure in it, the ETF portfolio rebalances every day. So that constantly on any given day, you always got two times kind of um, uh, exposure to the uh, to the market movement. And and um, you know we thought that was important because there are a lot of people that. Um, it, it, sometimes they want to take advantage of the volatility and, and for for short turn upticks, uh, but other times it's for hedging. So you know they don't want to maybe sell out of their existing position, but they want to hedge some of their downside. So it's it's uh, uh, it's been a nice little addition to our product suite. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I was about to note that you know uh, the last year we've seen in stocks and the investment market has been really interesting. You know, there's been a lot of the the, the upward. Uh, you know, establishment of like meme stocks and different things. And and cannabis kind of remained kind of relatively out of that whole mix. And I was always waiting for some wild things to happen with cannabis, especially once things get on Twitter. But it did kind of like stay pretty low key. But I still can see, you know, the volatility being key for, for traders going in the future. Um, and especially long term, I still see that cannabis uh, is probably going to trend upwards, especially when we start actually getting to that conversation of federal legalization and everybody, because I still feel like we're in this weird limbo of, is it going to happen or is it not going to happen? We still have to have this conversation and, and everybody, you know, it's, it even flips from, uh, you know, this year, somebody might be saying, you know, let's do it. And the next year it might be, uh, you know, that's going to bring a lot more headaches if we legalize federally than and if we don't, you know, leave it a state issue. And so it still is all over the place, but I could still see, you know, a long-term track uh, where cannabis uh, investments are, are pretty uh, attractive to a lot of folks. Well, and, and, you know, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head when you're talking about, you know, are we going to legalize? Are we not? Is it going to happen? Is it, is it isn't? Is it going to be tomorrow? Is it going to be 10 years from now? And that's, it's those macro movements. It's those, it's that macro environment that's actually driving the stock prices. And, and it's, it's kind of ironic in a way where, you know, if you look at, at we've had a, a significant sell-off in, in, uh, in cannabis stocks, whether, you know, they're the Canadian licensed producers or, or the U.S. MSOs, they've, they've all not had the, 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 the best 52 weeks. And, uh, and it's because of the, that, that macro, uh, you know, disappointment at, at, with respect to legislative reform. But the truth of it is the fundamentals are incredibly strong. I mean, you know, even from some of the, the 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 companies that are out there, and you know, raised a lot of capital back in the heydays, and and maybe didn't use that judiciously, um, they've really retrenched and they've really focused, and and they're driving towards you know positive earnings, and uh, you know across the board, revenues are growing, you know, costs are getting in line, margins are getting better. I mean, there's a lot of pressure as the market matures, right? We're seeing more inventory at, at, at companies, we're seeing some level of price compression and that varies, you know, jurisdiction by jurisdiction. But, but at the end of the day, these companies are, are getting healthier. Mm-hmm. Stock price is not suggesting that. So it's, it's, I, you know, there's, there's a lot of investors that are getting in now that see this as a generational opportunity. These companies are trading at very attractive valuations, mm-hmm. uh, just waiting for that, that legislative, you know, hit. And um, and I think that's why you've continued to see, even though we've had some not great performance from from a, a price perspective, uh, we're continuing to see a lot of investor interest um, in 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 these stocks. And you know they're they're not meme stocks. I mean, at the end of the day, this is a real industry that is growing. I mean, we're going to see. It's a good chance we see forty billion dollars 
of annual sales of cannabis in the U.S. shortly, right? Like global sales are growing everywhere. Again, country by country, especially on the back of we've already seen our rescheduling at, at the UN level, and and that's going to trickle through. I mean, we're going to have continued growth for the you know foreseeable future. So I have a question for like small investors like ourselves. Like, is an ETF something that you know is obtainable for us, or is are we talking just like big money like investors here? Like, how can we you know? I don't know. Like, how does this work for us? Yeah, I mean, ETFs are are, are great. I mean, if if you have access to you know any any brokerage, you know, Robinhood's a great example, and and there's a number of platforms out there where you have very low cost or or zero cost trading. They have very small um, uh, you know account minimums, and uh, you know it, you, you can you, it doesn't you know. ETFs trade at, you know, 10, 20, whatever dollars a share. I mean, you know, it's not hard to put a little bit of money in these and, and it's, it's, it's a great way to get in, you know, to get started. I mean, at the end of the day, it's always a good idea, clearly. I mean, I'm, I'm not a financial advisor, <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, save some money and invest it in, 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 you know, invested in something, right? Like it, 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 at the end of the day, having that vision and, and, and being able to do that, I mean, that's, that's, it's great for for individuals that are just starting out in life, and you know, it it, it it it's it they're highly accessible, and that's what's nice about an ETF versus the individual stocks, right? I can buy one ETF, I can buy a hundred dollars of an ETF, and I can get exposure to 40, 50 companies, a whole industry, and you know, if I want to go out and buy individual names, it's it's you know that it's not going to go very far, and you're mm-hmm. left with the specific risk of of one given company. I mean, if you're very convicted, obviously, on, on, a, on a specific name, that's great. Um, but at the end of the day, for most people, um, you know, you just want exposure to an asset class, especially when it comes to cannabis, right? I just, if you believe in, in, in the U.S. Uh, cannabis story only, buy MJ U.S. If you think that there's a real global opportunity, buy MJ, for example, right? If you want to hedge it, Bit of both, and and that's that's kind of what we built our our product suite out that way is to give investors the the opportunity uh, to get in with a very low entry through multiple platforms, investment platforms, and uh, have exposure to the industry as they choose, either domestically focused or globally focused. Uh, that's something I would have wanted, you know, <laughs> six or seven years ago when I first got into <laughs> it. You know, I was investing in individuals like Tilray and Aurora and. I made some really good money on those, I'll say, and and that really kickstarted my investment journey. And I was able to take it and recoup some profit and put it and hedge it with some other like mainstream companies. And and so looking back now, I'm like, I wish there was more of an ETF because it is hard to pick individual winners. And and though you know most things trend in the same direction, there is other ones that uh, that do really well, and then some stuff doesn't do as good. So I think that's what's nice about the ETF is it kind of helps balance out uh, the volatility and and give you a little bit more. Uh, kind of, you can put your thumb on in directions a little bit more. So I think that's cool. Yeah. And that's a good placeholder until you really, you, you get to learn the industry and then you start branching out a little mm-hmm. bit. So they, you know, there's a reason why they're, they're, they're gathering assets immensely and uh, across all industries are just a very effective investment vehicle. Yeah. I think it's great. It's like you guys did all the backward work and gathering up all these companies who have really good potential. And then, you know, just as an investor, we can just invest in the ETF as a whole and kind of just ride that wave versus like picking all these individual ones and not really knowing, you know, what's going on. So it's very cool. I love it. 
One other thing that we wanted to talk about today, though, was, uh, you know, you're well versed in the field of cannabis research. And so I know there's a lot of movement there. Uh, I know there was also a bill recently introduced in Congress, um, you know, changing the way really that, that these researchers are going to procure their product. And so we thought, you know, let's open it up. I tell us a little bit more about, you know, how you came about to be involved in cannabis research and then how things are changing with cannabis research that's going to impact uh, the industry and possibly uh, consumers alike down the road. Yeah. So for, 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 you know, starting from an investment banker, I mean, it's, it's critical to understand, you know, your client who you're raising capital for. It's not really, it's not, there's there, you, you have a duty to go out and understand all the warts all, you know, it's great to come up with a, a story and a narrative, but at the end of the day, when you're helping a company raise capital, not only do you have to tell all the positives, but you have to get full disclosure on all the risks that come with it. So that that was that's really where where I guess my research started was just trying to understand this industry and to really get my my arms wrapped around not just the the micro uh, risks and rewards specific to to uh, um, any given company, but understanding the risks with the macro risks, right? Because if again legislation is a big one. Where is it going? How is it going to get there? And that will affect the trajectory for, for any company, regardless of how well they do. Um, depending on how legislative reform comes out, will we'll have a big difference um, on, on the growth prospects of these companies. And that's true for not just the recreational side, but the medical side is if we don't have proper legislation in place, how can we get real world evidence on the efficacy of the specific cannabinoids that are out there. So it's really trying to understand where that, where we're seeing progress in, in that space and are we getting that evidence or, you know, we can't just have this anecdotal, yeah, I, you know, I take this and my knee feels better. It has to be more than that. And there's so many uh, cannabinoids in, you know, cannabis and, and their specific effects on different things is pretty fascinating. And it, it's, it's, you know, seeing what's happening in, in Canada since legalization, um, our largest pharmacy chain up here actually does a great job of their their uh, a, a licensed dispensary as well. And what they're what they're really working on is saying, hey, can we work with the producers and understand the genetic profiles, the various you know the specific um, you know cannabinoid profiles of the plant, and then look at how. Those specific profiles are working for different ailments. So let's work with the patient. Let's work with the physician. Let's get that real world evidence so that maybe we can start to understand that this strain is great for, you know, maybe glaucoma. This one's great for pain. This one's good for anxiety. This one's good for sleep that you name it. Right. And it's as we get that, then at the same time, we have more data. We have better understanding. Our producers can actually work towards, you know, bringing the right products for the right thing to market, which will then in turn give the physicians more cover to actually recommend to someone that, hey, instead of taking this traditional pharmaceutical, mm-hmm. you know, for your pain or for your anxiety, maybe you should start here, mm-hmm. right? And, I, and that's what we're starting to see here in Canada is taking something that's been anecdotal and turning it into more of a science um, it's, it's kind of in the middle, right? Because yeah. at the end of the day, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's trying to get real world evidence of specific strains and apply it to, for practical use 
for specific patients. And it takes a lot for a physician to be able to make those recommendations. And if we really want the medical side to grow, we need more of that evidence. We need more of that research. And none of that's going to happen unless we actually have more countries legalizing, at least not on great scale. I mean, it's fantastic. It's happening here, but you know, we need to see more of it happening uh, globally. So th- that that's what really got me interested in, in, in the industry was that aspect of it, to be quite honest. I mean, to see the benefits for so many people, what it can happen, you know, medically. I mean, I, you know, when you look at the recreational side, um, yeah, it's still somewhat to some degree always has a little bit of a, of a connotation to it as, as, you know, a, you know, put it with the other sin type products. Um, but, but you can't, and there's a good argument there that, that it's less harmful than say alcohol. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the medical side of it, it's tremendous what the potential is there to be able to actually bring a, you know, this, the natural product for very serious ailments, you know, especially these days with anxiety and what have you. I mean, there's a lot of potential applications, but as you know, you have to get, you you have to have the right, the right profile. You have to have the right strain for anything. And um, getting that evidence is, is a, you know, huge part of it. So I'm glad to see we're having it here as we get more legislative reform, we can get more funding for it and we'll actually get, you know, better data sets coming in the future. Well, I think that's interesting. And that bill that Jared was talking about earlier, it was recommending that instead of using government use cannabis, like government created cannabis, like you can just, you know, work with like producers locally and, you know, the actual cultivators. And I think that goes along with like what you're saying, like it's different from like anecdotal experience. Like what if, you know, the government grown cannabis isn't as actually potent (laughs) as, you know, what's really on the market or, you know, vice versa, you know what I mean? So like being able to actually work with a local cultivator to get real world, you know, product and then actual results. Like, I think that that's helpful and is really going to help move it forward. I know Jared, you know, was working in research in universities and it was like mind blowing, like how difficult and red tape it was, you know, to do the research. So to me, that's like a big win. I think so too. It's a big win. It's a huge win. And, and it's, it's so necessary and, and, um, you know, also help, uh, you know, take really, really helps the industry mature and and move away from its stigma. As if we have that, and you know, it's it's it is fascinating to see, for example, seeing Jazz Pharma come in and, and buy GW. I mean, we're we're going to start seeing more eyeballs on this industry for on that regards as well. But at the end of the day, right now, it's it's uh, again, lots of growth, lots of ramp, so many different facets, right? <laughs> but uh, a little bit more reform would would uh, would go a long way. I agree. And and I think, you know, hearing you talk about Canada and the way that, you know, the model is currently laid out in Canada, I think that's promising for us because to see this integration with government, to see this integration with pharmacies and basically the pharmaceutical aspect of it, I think that's what we need more of in, in, in the States because I think there's still a little bit of this battle between, you know, cannabis and pharma and they're pitted against each other. And I think everybody has to kind of realize that it's going to take both to to get to where we want to go, because you're right. One big aspect that Lucy and I always push is that we seem to sometimes forget about the medical cannabis side of it. And even though that's like the big piece that helped us all even get to this point. And so we still have to basically finish the work that we started on medical cannabis and make sure that cannabis is turned into a, a viable medicine for people with predictable results. And before we get you know too far out there with the recreational stuff and uh, the cannabis infused beverages and things and kind of heading down this this alcohol, you know, uh, leisure kind of path. So 
it is promising. I think the way Canada set it up that I think they've, they've allowed this and, and even, you know, speaking on this, this kind of change with the U S and this bill, uh, it was actually canopy in Canada. That's now going to be providing the cannabis to uh, research university. I believe it was San Diego state, I believe uh, somewhere in California. And so it is a little ironic that it's like, they, they look to Canada as like, you guys are a little bit more put together uh, for us to like import stuff for research. And so, um, you know, kudos to Canada really for putting together uh, what at this point is probably one of the more mature, uh, you know, frameworks for, uh, you know, a, a national legalization. Uh, you know, Canopy is very smart in, in, in how they've they've uh, built. I mean, when, when Bruce Linton was there, it, it, you know, he was a visionary in what he was trying to do. And they've really, you know, obviously since since uh, Bruce has left, it, it, it's uh, been a different focus on uh, with respect to, you know, really cleaning up their balance sheet and getting focused. But they do, they have a great government relations group and David Culver heads that. And, and you know, he's very, very... Uh, in tight with what's going on in the hill, and and I so I you know we're seeing that you'll see they they are understanding long term companies like Canopy where it's going, where the opportunities are going to be. They're going to be, um, you know, I think going to have uh, some level of 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 you know very good insight and and probably um, you know uh, uh, their thumb on the pulse with uh, the direction of of, of legalization. But you know, it, it, it's 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 just it's funny, right? Because if you look at you know, hemp CBD is you know, but in theory, obviously legal, and uh, at a federal level in the in the U.S. But we have this massive, you know, with this regulatory uh, mess with respect to you know, look at the FDA. I mean, under the Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act, you you actually can't legally, uh, from a federal perspective. You know, have a CBD edible, mm-hmm. right? It ha- it it's because it's already CBD is already um, uh, approved drug under uh, um, under the uh, Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act, and and so you can't use it as a supplement or a food additive. I mean, it's a, you can use it for a topical. So there, it, it's simple things like that that we have in our way in the United States that we can't even see, a, a, you know, a proper you know, hemp derived CBD industry unfold because of the lack of, you know, this fractured regulatory framework, even when, you know, obviously it's been legal at a federal level since 2018, we still haven't seen that proper guidance and these conflicts between the FDA and the DA and, and the USDA. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, uh, it's a bit of an embarrassment really when you yeah. think about it. No, absolutely. It's for, yeah. Uh, long way to go. <laughs> I still have a long way to go. And that's a simple one, right? As a, yeah. And, um, and, and obviously that'll, that'll get sorted out, but I think that's also part of seeing that why we're, you know, when we go back to what's holding up, um, you know, further reform, it's understanding that just passing a bill that's going to say, yeah, this is legal. Okay. Well, who's in charge. Yep. Yeah. Right. And, and, and it's, it's all these unintended consequences and, you know, what, so, you know, if we put limits on THC content, well, th- what does that mean? for interstate, you know, brokerage, if we have extracts, for example, right? So you see that even with CBD, mm-hmm. you can't have more than 0.3% THC. Well, that's true in the finished product, but what happens when you extract it for a period of time before it actually goes into, you know, your edible, right? 
and that happens all the time in alcohol, obviously you're always, you know, over and that's allowed for, you know, call wholesale brokering. Right. But it's not, so you can have these hot, you know, hot shipments, so to speak, they're in violation because it's not addressed, right. let alone whether or not the end product's legal. And it, it, it's, it's, so I think that when we've seen some of the issues that, that, um, you know, happened uh, with respect to hemp, I think that's also part of it is, is, we have to be pretty thoughtful about all the regulations that go in place. And, and, and there's a lot to think about, right? Especially when, uh, when you start to try to do that on a, from an interstate perspective, which is uh, obviously what some of the bigger uh, producers are pushing for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's really just makes your head spin of thinking, you know, down the line. I mean, I even think about just alcohol and, and I, I you know, I've lived in the West coast my whole life. And so going back East or hearing, you know, even my friends talk about, uh, back east having like these ABC stores where basically it's like the government controlled liquor and stuff. And and so in Colorado, it's like anybody can get a liquor license and kind of run their own thing. And it's just local uh, kind of ordinances and stuff. And so it's just a whole different mindset that we're going to get into when uh, it goes you know, national. Because uh, we even see that in Canada. It's a little bit of a different market and the regulatory framework than we're even seeing in individual states and in the U.S. And so you're right. When uh, when we get to a national thing, there's going to be lots of questions, probably going to be some lawsuits down the road of people not wanting to do it or not wanting to go along with whatever's regulated. And so uh, you're right. You know, it's the first step is getting there. And I think everybody's looking to like federal legalization is the answer, uh, but it's still going to be years after even that gets passed that we're still sorting out the details and figuring out which direction to go. Yeah, absolutely. But at a minimum, it'll start a lot of positive, you know, it'll deal with the banking issues, it'll deal with some of the, you know, the absurd tax consequences. Um, It'll, it it, it will help the industry grow more, it'll create job growth, it'll start bringing in more revenues, you know, municipalities, states, maybe something at the federal level, it'll help a lot with some of the social justice issues we're grappling with. And, you know, we talked about it, uh, it'll help significantly on uh, with respect to the medical side and the research that's needed there. So, you know, yes, the regulations might be a little bit clumsy for, for a while. Clearly they will. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, there's, you know, just the immediate effects are, are going to affect so many people po- so positively in so many different ways. I mean, it's, it's worth doing. So it's, it's, uh, you know, hopefully this year we take our first step towards it and, um, you know, maybe we get lucky and, and, uh, um, it goes further than, 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 uh, you know, moderate reform, but, but, uh, you know, with, 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 you know, with any, uh, any luck, uh, we'll see full legalization in, in the next few years. There we go. Well, that was all really great, Jason. Like, thanks so much. You, you were a very clear speaker and really explained it to, you know, the layman exactly, you know, what's going on. So if anybody wants to find these ETFs, like on the New York stock exchange, like what are the tickers or like, how do we find you? Yeah, well, ETFMG.com is a great place to go and look for all of our funds, cannabis or otherwise. And then other than that, our cannabis funds trade under the tickers uh, MJ, MJUS, MJXL, and MJIN. So, cool. yeah, it was a pleasure uh, meeting you guys virtually anyhow. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, yeah, no, it's great. It's a lot of fun and uh, great having an opportunity to uh, get to know you and uh uh, meet your your audience. Perfect. Likewise. Well, we do have one final question for you. Uh, we are the Lit and Lucid podcast. So are you lit or are you lucid? <laughs> uh, well, that's a good question. <laughs> how, would you, how would you define lit versus lucid? 
Like lit is like depends on my mood. <laughs> yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Which mood am I in? Um, I'm, 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 I'm more. I'm on the lit side, obviously. <laughs> there we go. That's awesome. We'll take it. Oh man! All right, you guys. With that, I'm lit. I'm lucid. And that's it. <laughs> Later's. <laughs>